I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct, but most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Thursday again, tell everybody to lock in, grab some popcorn, a drink, and go and throw your AirPods in. It's the one-hour show, constantly speaking facts. Bulletproof stats are always shooting from Matt, and when it comes to Kyle, you getting numbers and style. Jake is going to educate you, he has that knowledge on fire. Player, step your game up, don't be sluggish or lazy, or Jimmy J might hit you with a shaky baby. Catch him on YouTube or any podcast platform, breaking all the news down like Shaq does the backboards. No hot takes, this is where the hottest debate's at. Now kick your feet up, cause it's time for Straight Facts. What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates and entertains. Brought to you by the Up On Game Presents Network. Make sure you guys are going and getting that Up On Game Presents. Liking, following, subscribing, wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, YouTube. You know they're all over the place. They do a great job over there at Up On Game Presents. Back with my guy, Stat Matt Robinson. No Jake Galley today. He had prior obligations, but we're able to call it a bullpen. I don't want to say the bullpen, really. Because this is this is an honor to have my guy Martin Sorry's Basketball Society on Instagram. You guys probably know him, the great account that he is. We're we're here. We brought him in to talk about the first round that it is the playoffs. So Matt and Martin, how are we doing today, guys? Martin, thank you for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. Always good to see you guys. Hope all is well. Definitely glad to talk some basketball with you guys again. Of course, of course. Yeah, going to the bullpen can sometimes be a very good thing. Yankees weren't upset when they pulled in Rivera, so that's not a pretty You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes sometimes it's where the heavy hitters are. Sometimes where the big arms are in the bullpen. But, Martin, before we even dive into even you know, the, the specifics of this, how how have the playoffs been for you? What, what's been, like, your overall takeaway of kind of the level of basketball you're seeing in the first round of the playoffs so far? I think it's it's awesome so far. I love the storylines. I love the diversity, the parody. Um, just the fact that the Knicks won a playoff game, I feel like makes this like a just a unique 
Um, like, oh, we're here. Yeah, yeah, we're here. <laughs> winning a play. Yeah, we're here. This is this is 2023 NBA playoffs. The Knicks win a game. The the Kings are up 2-0 against the Warriors. I mean, it's it's literally nuts out there. It's chaos. So mm-hmm. I'm loving it, and I'm also loving just the showcasing of different talent um, that that are really making their names here, especially your De'Aaron Fox and. Um, I mean, it's it's really cool to see just the the diversity happening in talent. Yeah, it's it's elite level hoops happening each night. I'll save my my big rant for for the at the buzzer, uh, Martin. You remember at the end of our episode, we got our at the buzzer. You can sound off on anything. You're gonna y'all gonna want to stick around for mine because I got I got a good one. All right, but why don't we why don't we dive in to these playoffs, man? Because like we said. It's been great hoops. And we'll go by through each series and kind of highlight all of them. But, Martin, I was talking to you off camera. We're, we're going to slant this, so we're going to theme this pod. Does the regular season even matter? Because what we're going to do is take a look at all these teams in their perspective playoff series and see what they did in the regular season, how it got them, what you know, what they did in the regular season, got them to where they are. Did it carry over into their playoff series? If it did or if it didn't, you know, how are they looking at that moment in time? So why don't we start with the, the top matchup in the East, the Milwaukee Bucks, the number one seed versus the Miami Heat, the number eight seed. Normally a series we probably wouldn't spend too much time on, but the playing field got evened a little bit, right? You have the injury to Giannis Antetokounmpo. We're still unsure of his status. 6, 10 p.m. right now, he's still a game-time decision, and this game tips off tonight in a little less than an hour, right? So – we're still unsure as we're recording this Wednesday at 6.10 of the status of Giannis. We'll consider him a not-go just because of the severity of what it looked like with his injury. The Heat are also going without Tyler Hero, a guy who, you know, 20 points per game off the bench for them is a really good player for them. So this is a series that all of a sudden got very, very interesting. Miami ties the series up going – or I'm sorry – Miami is up 1-0 after stealing game one with the Giannis injury. So, Martin, I'll go to you first, man. Like, what are you seeing out of this series? Or do, do the, he have a real chance of, you know, taking the Bucks out because of no Giannis? Yeah, they, they definitely have a chance. And it's it kind of sucks for them that they – I feel like uh, kind of how I feel about Memphis having to run into play the Lakers and LeBron in the first round. Like, mm-hmm. that really sucks. And it kind of sucks that Milwaukee – has to go up against a team in Miami who I was really down on this year. But Jimmy Butler, Eric Spolstra, Pat Riley, uh, they, they they lost Tyler Hero, who I even tweeted at one point. I started to feel like Tyler Hero might be their most important player just because of – really mainly because of the three ball. Like I love what Jimmy Butler does in the postseason. He always steps up. But I feel like they were losing their offensive – like dynamism I I was watching Miami some this season and I I was big on saying they should have really swung for Kevin Durant at the time when he asked for a trade but um but but they they seem to put it together and they're always tough in the postseason Miami so it's unfortunate that Milwaukee's vulnerable right now and they're not playing against like Atlanta where they could probably take care of that without Giannis They, they are very vulnerable against a team in Miami that like when they when they smell blood, they'll come after you, and that could that could be a very easy and reasonable upset in the first round now with the Giannis thing. 
And, and the last time the Heat smelled blood and, and caught the Bucks was in the bubble on their way, you know, to a championship run or to at least a, a Easter Conference championship run into the NBA Finals. But you know, right now, as it's stat, the, the stats don't lie. The Bucks were eleven and eight without Giannis this season, but zero and two against the Heat and, and two and four against playoff teams. So the Heat know how to do it when Giannis is plucked out of the Bucks the Bucks lineup. But stat, Matt, can, can the Heat continue I, I to do it? Really like, what's going on with two? that? Because I think I, if I were the Bucks, I'd keep Giannis out this game. Because I think even if you fall down 0-2, if Giannis comes back 80% game three, you'll still be fine. The Heat shot the lights out of the ball, and they're not, especially without Hero, uh, for the rest of the series, they're not really that good of a shooting team. Like Kevin Love's not going to hit four threes against you often. They shot 15 or 25 from three. The Bucks shot their, which was the Heat's best game from three all season, including the regular season and play-in. Mm-hmm. It was the Bucks' worst game from three all season. And it was still, like, kind of competitive in the fourth quarter. It was, like, within, like, eight with around, like, four minutes to go before never really got closer than that. I think it was just, like, the worst kind of game imaginable for Milwaukee. Their shots weren't falling. And the, and the guy who's going to have a lot of MVP votes and Giannis didn't play more than 11 minutes, and they still were, like, in the game. I just think uh holiday is going to play better lopez is going to play better middleton's going to shoot better from three uh he should score 33 but he was poor from three um and i just think that even without Giannis, uh they win this in like six well i mean what the bucks have the advantage of uh is they've been operating without one of their stars all pretty much all season it's had people step up now they would have preferred have it be the star that you know, there's been out all season is Chris Middleton, but you know, one of their two all-stars, one of their two juggernauts has been out. Drew holiday has stepped up to emerge and been an all-star this season. So the bucks have, have, have that muscle, right. And let's see if they can flex it big enough to beat the heat and big enough to fill the Giannis void in their lineup. But it's not like they've operated without one of their big time stars and haven't had success. They're still the number one seed in the East still regarded probably as best, the best team best in the record league. in basketball. Yeah. Best team in the league coming into the playoffs. Right. So if anyone could do it, it's like, you know, Mike Boonholzer and the Milwaukee Bucks can do it. But Martin here, here's, I'll kind of feed this to you. This is what I'm wondering can happen because this is a Miami heat team that if not now more than ever is going to need Bam Adebayo to step up and be like Bam Adebayo that we, that we think he can be Bam Adebayo that we've seen flashes of, but Bam Adebayo gets minimized way too often. Now with no Giannis there and, and maybe a matchup of just having to beat Brooke Lopez or just having to beat Bobby Portis, not easier said than done, but it's not Giannis. Does this open the opportunity for like a bigger and better Bam? Like, can we, can we see that? Or do you think, you know, this is what it is. The Miami Heat kind of have to have to scrape by wins, you know, even without that. No, I mean, it, it should clear the way for Bam to, to play better. I mean, I, I think in any scenario, they need Bam to really be special. I mean, it's mm-hmm. Jimmy and Bam is kind of like their one-two punch. They're the two best players. I think it even is significant that now Jimmy Butler is now – he's the best player on the floor now. And yeah. at times, Bam could be the best player on the floor. And um, they they have they have to take advantage. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I believe in Milwaukee. I definitely agree with what Matt said about – I feel like they could take, they could win a game, especially back home without Giannis. But I, I'm not going to lie, I'm worried just because Miami, even though 
I've been critical. I didn't know that 15 threes was their best uh, shooting game of the season. Percentage-wise, not total. Percentage-wise, okay, yeah. But, I mean, again, I'm not surprised because I just didn't think they had that same pop um, offensively that they've had before. But they still do have, like, a few sneaky streak shooters. Like, Struess will come out and hit four threes on one day. As he you know? did, yeah, you know, as he did. You know, Duncan can shoot it. And, I mean, I don't think Kevin Love will do that again, like you said. But Gabe Vincent um, can shoot as well, yeah. They, they can, Gabe Vincent will come out hit a few, you know. So that's where I kind of worry because Miami is, like, they're tough. They know what it takes. They're physical. They've got the defense. And and without Giannis, like, that, of course, we know that accounts for so much offense for them. Um, but but going back to Bam, he's got – I mean, he's he's got to be, like, the guy inside. Now he's the best front court player in the series. So he's mm-hmm. definitely got to show that now. Yeah, we'll see. Stat Mag, official, before we move on from the series – you kind of gave it already, but gave the official. What do you think? Who wins this series now that now I, I, I'm still no, very confident gonna... Milwaukee will win? The Heat have like the history of being a contender, which is the only thing that is uh, potentially dangerous. But Milwaukee is way more grown than they were in the bubble, and I don't think they're panicking. And I think their veteran resolve will. And they're proud. I think the regular season does matter. And the fact that they were consistent and overcame injuries all season mm-hmm. and still were the best team in the NBA by record is going to translate to the postseason and they'll be able to overcome this. It's not like Giannis is out for the year. It's like mm-hmm. a back injury that's going to honestly be more of a problem in like the conference finals when they have to play either Boston or Philly. So, yeah, when they get someone really good. I also watched two years ago Giannis's. Uh, knee going a backwards crescent moon in the finals, and then him come out and drop like a 50-point triple-double the next game. We've seen him overcome slight injuries is what I'm saying. I think Drew Holiday is everything. We Even in the game one loss, the back end of that game, you see, you saw him go like, oh, okay, I need to kick it into high gear because we don't have, you know, one of our stars. That's kind of what I saw from Drew Holiday all season, and that's what was very impressive. He has the ability – to go back to the facilitating Drew Holiday that won them a ring and, you know, was the, you know, 20 to 22, 24 point, 10 assist guy. But I think there was a switch that flipped when Chris Middleton wasn't there. That was like, you know, I, the team needs me to score and score in bunches. It needs to be, to be a threat on the offense, you know, on the offensive end of the floor, every possession. And when Giannis went down, I think you saw in the back half of that game one, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, kick it into another gear of like, okay, I need to step up here. I think they ultimately ran out of gas. They ultimately weren't able to figure it out. But, you know, if they need to do that from the start, I'm confident that, you know, they have enough around them that they're still able to do it. So with all that being said, I kind of agree with you, Matt, that I'm still going to take the Bucks in six. I, I, you know, it's it's going to be tougher, much tougher. They would have, I think they want Giannis back by the time they go to Miami, like maybe sit him for game two. But I, I wouldn't want to go into Miami tied series Five game series without Giannis. I'd want to get home court back with Giannis, but you know it's, it's big dependent on that. Martin, who do you think takes the series now that it's even? I'm. I believe in Milwaukee. I, I would still go with Milwaukee. I feel like they can win game two, even if Giannis doesn't play tonight. I think I do. I do. I too, yeah. Milwaukee comes together, does what they need to do. I think they need to outscore. I think they got to score the ball. I think they just got to outscore Miami, put the pressure on them to score with them, and keep shooting the ball at a high level. And um, I think, but I, I'm I'm still with Milwaukee. 
for for sure. Look, I, I said tied series when they go to Miami. I'm already so you know that I guess that gives you my prediction. I'm I'm predicting a, a Milwaukee win. These are these next two series we can go through through the Eastern Conference kind of quickly because they seem like a foregone conclusion. The first one is the number two seed Celtics against the number uh, seven seed Atlanta Hawks. Boston is up 2-0 in two very convincingly two very convincing games. I mean, game two was the closest the Hawks could hope to get a good game from Dejounte Murray in it. You know, at the, by the end. The Celtics just, you know, kind of leaned on them, and it was over by then. So it doesn't – we can kind of go through what these two teams did in the regular season and if it's carrying over in the playoffs, but I think all we need to see is the two seed. They were the two seed through the regular season. They were the seventh seed, the most average team maybe in NBA history that I've ever seen, the Atlanta Hawks, and that's carrying over to the playoffs. So, Marin, I'll come to you. Does Atlanta have any chance of staving off – a sweep and we could probably I'll, I'll probably you could tee that next question up or you tee that question up for the next series as well and wait for it to ask it when we talk about Philly and Brooklyn but does does Atlanta have any chance of, of getting one or getting two in Atlanta no, no I, I, I don't I don't think so um maybe one in Atlanta if Trey or DeJounte Murray just kind of erupts and and takes it there and and they they just feed off the crowd and they have a big game which is what it's going to take I think but Boston, they're not ready for that. For that type mm-hmm. of for that type of they're just they're just not ready. They um Atlanta, there's so many things. I, I've been thinking about Trey Young lately. I'm a, I'm a huge Trey Young fan. Um, I'm kind of a fan of everybody though, so I'm not like I'm not not a fan. Yeah, you're not a hater. Yeah, you're not a hater. You're I, a hater. So, but but I really I love Trey Young, and I feel like that just there's so much to work with there. And I've been seeing that there's been reports about his leadership and the co and the coach and his like things like that. And you remember, um, remember he you know took that two week leave in the beginning of the season, right? Him and him and uh, Nate McMillan buttonhead. So right before yeah, he left. So. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just think uh, I think it, what's next for Trey Young is going to be big because I think that's a lot of talent that somebody needs to figure out and nurture, and it just may be really about his entire environment from coach to to you know running mates teammates what have you he may need to be on a team with like other stars to really have a chance of like and talk about like championship potential for someone like yeah. Trey Young. um but yeah Atlanta they're just they're average and Boston is a championship level team and and you know kudos to Boston for like coming out and really making a statement and and mm-hmm. showing who they are right away like they they want to all they're thinking is it's almost like they're back in the finals already that that's yeah. how they playing they're they're preparing for another run and i mean i i feel like boston is is the toughest team and the most dangerous team as far as like the title run all season i felt that way watching them i really feel like boston's the toughest team to beat they sure look like that i don't think they showed that completely just from my eye test in game one i think they showed it completely in game two and i think what i was missing was the jason tatum factor of it in game one like he wasn't bad in game one, but he wasn't special. Jay, you saw the, the specialness from Jalen Brown, but I didn't see the assertiveness from Jason Tatum. And it's funny because we, you know, go back to the last time you were on here, we talked about, you know, right after or during the finals about I need to see Jason Tatum be assertive. I, you know, I need to see that of him in game two. He came out and showed that, you know, his blueprints were all over that win and he was kind of leaning on him. So, Matt, I mean, did, yeah, for me, does Atlanta have a chance? Atlanta has a shot to win game three if they lose game three. Like, they have a shot to lose in five instead of four, basically. And that's only in game three. 
And Boston at times has like, especially in the regular season, taking their foot off the pedal when they get a little like overconfident about the opponent they're playing. And they've thoroughly dominated Atlanta to the point where I think that they might get that way in game three. And if Trey's hot and he drops like 40, you could lose that game. But if it's 3-0, that entire Atlanta team's just not going to really care because they know the task is so high. Um, I think half of them don't care right now. It, and that, it, I, I have a tough time thinking like the Atlanta crowd, if you're going to like game three, like you're coming in with much juice and hope. Like you saw this team make a conference finals and now this team is just like dead in the water at 500. Mm-hmm. So like there's not really much hype and hope. You kind of like talk yourself into, oh, this is a playoff game I'm going to. But the crowd's not going to be like a real road crowd, I don't think. And if they are, yeah. props to them. But I don't. I haven't heard anyone call that. Atlanta like a hostile environment any you know any time any you know any time lately. But I, I kind of I have to agree with Martin, Matt. I have to push back on that. I kind of think Boston is like if this was their first playoff run. If this was last year, then maybe I think they might be susceptible to losing one. But they're this is like a uh, now a veteran playoff run team this isn't our first time through this thing like this is like don't play with your food type mode like 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 martin said that we are full systems go to the finals and there's no one that's going to even knock us or give us a speed bump to that path atlanta's gonna have to give their 100 best game and then some to beat boston like i don't i don't see a, I, I really don't see a way atlanta comes out and beats boston you know by a score of like you know seven to ten by the end of the game if they beat Boston. It's on a Trey Young forty to forty five piece, and he hits you know the go ahead three with one point three left, and you know they they steal the inbound or something like that. Like that's how they win. But you know even if Trey Young comes out hot, or even if Boston comes out slow, like they may play to Atlanta's competition, but ultimately I think they do as what they need to do to win the game and at least get this series done in four. They got a much tougher, you know. Um, a much tougher road, a much tougher matchup next series, which let's not fool ourselves. You, you, I know they're thinking about that a little bit. Let's rest as much as we can before we go and face Embiid and the Sixers. Like, I think they want to get this done in four. There's, there's nothing that's really going to stop them from doing that. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I just think there's a scenario that can happen. Like, I mean, it's the playoffs. There's not, I mean, this is either the best yeah, but, 16 but, teams but, in the NBA. Know, I think I everyone agree. can win one. Every, when, you've been to the final, when you've been to the finals, I feel like first round against Atlanta still feels like almost playoff preseason. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I see what no, you no, mean. no. I, I feel we you. Could I game. Feel we, we could, you know, we, we could give up a game. Like, I, and I it wouldn't matter. Right. It wouldn't matter at the end of the day. But but think about when the Warriors were going on their second run, their second finals run. Granted, they had Kevin Durant, but they were going fifteen and one, sixteen. I guess there's a there's a loss in there, but sixteen and zero, you know, for fourteen and zero through the first four rounds of the playoffs. Like they were not playing with their food. We are we are getting back here and getting the job done. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is safe. It's a place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For example, it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who experience major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Game Presents today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Game Presents. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Boston's so much better <laughs> in every way. There's just no reason why they, they wouldn't get it done in four. So that's that's just what I think. But speaking of Embiid and the Sixers and their presumable second round matchup another series we can get through kind of quickly uh as the Sixers go up 2-0 but this is one that we can bring back the theme of does the regular season matter because we can apply it to two people on the Sixers in particular and that's PJ Tucker and James Harden because two people that you ask are we going to get the same player in the in the postseason as we do in the regular season and it's the inverse Sixers fans were hoping that they didn't get regular season PJ and they hoping that they did get regular season Harden. And it's actually the backwards of both. They got regular season PJ and we could start there because, or they got playoff PJ. I could say they didn't get regular season PJ. Let's start there. Mark, what are you seeing from like the Sixers kind of role players? And in particular guys like PJ Tucker, Jalen McDaniels, Tyrus Maxey, guys who are and beating Harden, Paul Reed, guys coming up like that in this series against Brooklyn. Yeah, I I think Brooklyn is the is like the perfect kind of guinea pig team series for the Sixers to start out with. Um because it, I mean, you know, no one really thinks Brooklyn's actually going to beat them and they won't um cuz they just don't have the firepower, but Mikael Bridges is uh, you know, and Cam Johnson have both come to Brooklyn and they're they're doing their thing. So, and they they have they they have they're they're a decent team like they can play some good basketball. It, it's kind of like to to Matt's point for the Sixers. This is kind of like preseason playoff basketball. I feel like and there it's I think it's really significant that their role players are playing this well early. We've seen James Harden play well. We know what Embiid can do. 
Maxi has stepped up and had a big game. So the fact that they're seeing their role players have some really big impact and good games early is is big for them because we know we know that that's going to be kind of the ceiling of what they can actually be as a team is what what are guys doing outside of Harden and Embiid have to get it done, of course, and do their part. But what are guys outside of them doing? And it looks like Maxi is when I mean, we all love Maxi. We know he's ready. Um, as long as he stays ready and ready to do do what he can do offensively and help them out. Um, and yeah, Tucker, Paul, I mean, it's it's really encouraging to see that they have guys kind of stepping up because that that's what gonna, they're going to need. They need a full force, deep effort to, to yeah. really beat the likes of uh, Boston and Milwaukee. Well, it was the first thing that Joel Embiid, Doc Rivers, and company pointed out last year after the playoff loss is, you know, you go up against teams like the Heat after, you know, you get punched in the mouth by P.J. Tucker. As Embiid said, like, we don't, we need a dog. We didn't have any dogs like that in the playoffs. So you go out and get P.J. Tucker, that same guy who smacked you in the mouth. And I guess through the, or, you know, you could see through the regular season, Sixers fans were kind of waiting for like, okay, when's, Where's that dog y'all was talking about? Like you know, this this guy that was so ferocious that 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 put a mask on Embiid in the playoffs last year. Why don't I see this guy? Why why you know we paid for that guy, and I you know objective fans are saying like you know wait wait for the playoffs because Miami was probably saying that Milwaukee was probably saying that, and then they got that in the postseason. You got to wait on. You got to wait till the games really matter, and then now you're seeing it through the quickness. In the playoffs, five steals in game one after that, not having more than three all season and is averaging three and a half offensive rebounds per game after just averaging 1.3 in the regular season. Immediate impact where it matters, doing the dirty work and like playoff PJ is back. Now, Matt, to the other guy, I'll let you answer this one, man, because unfortunately, playoff hearted of recent is back and struggling through the first game. He struggled, struggled in game two. You didn't struggle struggled mightily one. in game two. But but even in game one, there were things that didn't please Sixers fans to see in terms of effort, in terms of execution. Like one of the big reasons Doc Rivers called that timeout uh, in game two and really had to lay in to the huddle. So are you concerned with James Harden? Because that, you know, the regular season is not seeming to matter for James Harden. I'm a little called. concerned. Uh, Near the end of the regular season, he was talking about his Achilles and how it like hurts for him to walk, and he has to like deal with that. And you do kind of feel like he's slow. He's obviously much slower than he was at his peak, but even like earlier in the year, it feels like he was getting better off of the dribble stuff. His he is not making twos this series. His game one was really good because he made a bunch of threes. Uh, he had a couple of big threes in like game three when they're starting their mini comeback. But other than threes, like on layups, he's been really concerning. Like he is two for 13 on twos this series. And that's something that need, obviously needs to improve. Uh, but he's distributing the ball better. Um, and I think, I think he's viewing this as a tune up and he's trying different things. Um, to see what he'll be able to do against the Boston because the wing defenders and the help defenders on Boston are going to be a lot longer. So I think he's trying to see what he can do now and trying to gauge that against what he'll be able to do in the next series. And maxi has been great, but Maxie's struggled mightily against Boston this season. And uh, just having the size of Boston, I think really bothers Maxie. So as nice as these two wins are 
of being, I still think that Boston matchup, other than the fact that Embiid goes off against them, is still worrying for the Sixers. But uh, business as usual, they're going to get through this pretty simple. I'd like to get the sweep done so Harden can get wrestling that Achilles before the Boston series. Yeah, you guys are kind of in the same boat. You talked me off the ledge a little bit about the Harden struggles. You you really did about maybe even using this as a tune-up as, you know, a, a lot of players were using the regular season as a tune-up. I'm not as convinced it's so much of a, you know, let, let me work stuff out and let me try new things as a, he's not being as aggressive and maybe he's purposely not being as aggressive, but he has yet to attempt a free throw through two games. It's a guy who led the league in free throw attempts for the last how many seasons, right? And through two games has zero free throw attempts and two for 13 on twos. That shows me he's not going up aggressive. This is a guy who don't need to try hard to get a whistle from the ref. It's baked in to his offensive game. Referees are expecting that kind of contact initiated from James Harden and giving two James Harden. But if he's not trying, he's not going up with, with a will to score to the basket, it's the playoffs. The ref's not going to give him that, and that's, that's evident. So if he's not going up with aggression, not going up trying to score, that they, he's not putting any pressure on the defense inside. Um, and, and then we're going to seeing a maybe a lackluster, quote-unquote, an apathetic, quote-unquote, and – to the blue collar city of Philadelphia, that looks like a guy who doesn't care. So that's that's what that's what's starting to brew. That's I think that's the narrative that Sixers fans are desperately trying to ward off because they they, they don't want that to arise. But that's going to start the bubble if that continues to go through games three and four. And God forbid that goes into the Boston series because against Brooklyn, if you don't do that, it just looks like you don't care. But against Boston, if you do that, you're going to get pushed backwards. And now, now you look really bad. You go from you just don't look like you care to now you look like you can't do it. Now look like, you know, you, you're washed. You're, you're getting punked. You're getting beat by a younger, more physical team. So just I just hope that that doesn't happen for James Harden. I hope that. I do, that I do want to push back on a narrative that we haven't brought up, but I've just seen that. Yeah. Oh, this Jacques Vaughn strategy isn't working because the Nets aren't quite have the talent but of doubling Embiid to make sure he doesn't get his points. But this is a good blueprint for someone to do down the road. The Sixers led the league in three-point percentage. If you double Embiid, he's going to find an open guy, and we're really good at making threes. I, I think Boston, Boston right. beat us when Embiid went off. And the only time we beat Boston is because mm. it was a close game in which they were missing Jalen Brown. Mm. And Boston, if Boston, like they're not going to watch Jacques Vaughn and think, Ooh, we found how to beat the Sixers. They know how to beat the Sixers. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point that you made. That's a good point that you made. And, and a lot of people are thinking that Boston's going to use that doubling scheme just better time. Everyone's doubled situationally. Like some, I mean, you yeah. can only double at time. If he gets going, you can start doubling him. But like you said, I mean, it's not some groundbreaking strategy to double the best player all game. I mean, and and Brooklyn kind of just sends the double immediately. Like as soon as oh, it he, catches he, the ball, he, Brooklyn he, sends the double. And it's, that's time. easy to time. That's very yeah. easy to time. Um, um There's so, one thing too right. I was going to mention that's always interesting to me because I was thinking about this with – I always think it's interesting to look at teams that, like I would say, like even the tune-up thing versus, like, I feel like, and I know we're going to segue to the West, but I was just thinking about um, the Phoenix Clippers series. Mm -hmm. And I I always think it's interesting, the team you play in the first round. Like, think about it. Whoever Phoenix or the Clippers play next or going forward, you could think of it one way, like, okay, they played a really good team, so they might be beat up. But I tend to think of it as, like, 
you're probably ready for anybody after that. Oh, like, yeah. Rattle tested. That rattle that's not good. That's not a good like segue to, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. when we were talking about Philly and Brooklyn. It's like, you know, it's really, it's not ideal. I would rather play against a better level team. Like even Miami, Milwaukee, they're about to be battle tested for the next round and, and through the next, through the rest of the playoffs. Like I always think about that, you know, because the Suns and Clippers are getting battle tested in the first round. Yeah. It takes a lot out of you. But sometimes you need that to start out just to get a sense of like, okay, we're we're here. Now we're ready. We just took down one of the better teams. Mm-hmm. Next, uh, Atlanta, Memphis, the Lakers. Okay, like we're ready yeah. for you. Um, and, and just another quick thing too, just a very quick comparison with James Harden. I feel like I'm seeing a similar thing with Chris Paul. Matt, I'm so glad you brought up. That's why I love talking to you guys because – Jay, you give me you give me some some things to think about, and then Matt, you give me great stats to think about and to reference. The two pointer thing really is significant because when I watch James, it reminds me of what I'm seeing with Chris Paul in the Phoenix series because they're like think about it. these are two of the elite Hall of Fame guards. They're mm-hmm. older though; they're having to now beat younger, quicker guys off the dribble and get to spots. James used to be able to get to the basket, finish at the basket. That was part of his scoring thing. He's struggling more with it now. I'm watching Chris Paul struggle to get to that right elbow off the pick, off the ball screen and the snake. Like that, it looks physically taxing on him now. Like it's, it's crazy to watch actually. So it's interesting, even as I started talking about the diversity of talent, you got these young guys who are coming up and hungry and, and ready. The older guys are still productive. LeBron being the, the ultimate example, of course, but your guys like Chris Paul, James Harden, who are still here, still hooping, they, they're struggling. It's harder to get into their bag. Yeah, it's harder to get into their bag. And and, and it's funny because now if I looked at it through the Chris Paul lens, y'all know me. Well, now it's – well, I mean, he's just saving himself. Now he's picking and choosing his spots. Now now, now it's not as bad. That's why I look at it through James Harden's lens. But kind of similar spots, right, not to get too far down and foreshadow the, the later in the pod, but – kind of similar spots where now they have younger guys to their side that they didn't have before later in their careers that they kind of can kick to early in these rounds to, to get them through and not have to really, you know, spend as much energy and save it for the later round. So we'll see if that's what Harden is doing. One more Eastern conference matchup before we get to the West, Martin, you were talking about that, but this is probably the best match. Not probably it's the best matchup of the Eastern conference by far, and that's Cavs Knicks tied at one and one. Uh, the Knicks come out, land the first punch in Cleveland, go up one, no, one nothing, and then the Cavs come back behind a very good performance by Darius Garland, 26 in the first half to get the second game. So it's one one going forward, and this is a, a series that you know a lot of people were maybe talking about a coin flip, maybe Cleveland had the slight edge being the four seed, but a matchup that the Knicks won in the regular season, three and one. Uh, going in favor of New York. And remember, Jalen Brunson goes off for a career-high 48 in Cleveland in one of those matchups. So a matchup that that the Knicks were very confident in, and you can see that coming out in Game 1. Now, in Game 2, the script got flipped a little bit. Things got a little hectic. Tom Thibodeau went classic Tom Thibodeau and left Julius Randle in too long. And now we're now we're here, Martin, at a, at a tied series, 1-1. So who do you think has the upper hand? Uh, going into game three back in New York Friday night? Uh, I I think that, I mean, Madison Square Garden is about to be the jungle. The Nick, I mean, at, just off that alone, we want to talk about playoff atmosphere. We we know, we yeah. know they're coming and that's going to play a huge factor. So I think the Knicks 
will win game three. But um, I, I and I kind of want to believe in the Knicks. I'm like low key rooting for the Knicks. But I don't know. There's something about I guess it's a combination of the Knicks. And and I think when I looked at from what I saw of game two, I feel like when Cleveland turns it on and does what they're supposed to do, they're actually like it's crazy because game after game one, I'm looking, I'm like, man, the Knicks just look better, deeper, more shooters, better bench. I mean, it, it just they, they just look like a better team. I'm like, man, maybe the Knicks are just a better team. Um, and, and that could still be the case. Uh, but when it comes to just like, uh, and I know the Knicks killed them on the boards the first game, but I, I think I think Mobley and Jared Allen are like figuring out the physicality of of it, and I think they might be figuring things out. And I think Donovan Mitchell could still at any point take over the series, um, and I think that's likely to happen. I don't know. There's something that I think I feel like Cleveland is going to get the upper hand. Um, I'm rooting for the Knicks. I want them to put it together. I'm just, I guess I might be just a little insecure and nervous for them to, you know, do their usual Knicks thing. Uh, yeah, man, go ahead. I'll, I'll yeah, let you yeah. before I get to my so, point. So I, I just think that as long as Evan Mobley can lock up Julius Randle, the Cavs have the advantage. The Cavs barely lost game one, um, and Karis LeVert was a disaster. He bounced back game two, putting up 24. He was one of seven in game one. And the fact that Julius Randle is, I know it's only seven games into a postseason career, but the fact that game two, where he was eight of 20, was his best game in his postseason career from the field is really embarrassing. Like, like, <laughs> Classic Jay like, Randle, he, man. He's, been, he's horrible in his short playoff career so far. And he's facing a guy who's probably going to be second in Defensive Player of the Year uh, voting. And Mobley's locked him down in the regular season and the postseason uh, this year, um, 15 of 45 from the field. Um, Randall is uh, when Mobley is his primary defender through yeah. the regular season and games one and two. Um, I think as long, I, I do think Madison Square Garden is going to be really tough. I think they'll be able to split games three and four, which I think will be enough. And then I think it's going to go seven, but okay. I just think the Cavs have more firepower. I also really think, Buying out Kevin Love was a really strange move because, like, you could just have him on the bench and maybe he hits four threes randomly mm -hmm. in a game for you. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. 
And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Like they, they're not that deep. I don't know. That's a confusing. And he doesn't seem like he's a locker room issue kind of guy. So I that that's for Kevin Love me. it seemed kind of strange for me because he, you know, at the time even at the time he chose Miami. I'm like I get the destination, but you chose a worse situation. I'd rather I'd rather be on the Cavs this year. Um, but the two things: one this is what I'm saying. It's funny that you mentioned how Mobley is locking down Julius Randle because the numbers aren't good. But I'm kind of not seeing him win the physicality or the physical battle against Julius Randle. Martin, are you seeing that too? Like, Did you guys see and, that clip, that one box out clip at the yeah. from game and, one when Randle was like, just so literally moved him under the basket? So in game two, since I saw that after game one and game two, I was like, that's what I'm watching for. And yes, it's like there are misses, but Evan Mobley is uh, like Julius Randle is still getting the better of the physical matchup against Evan Mobley. So to see the numbers not be there and to see Julius Randle still be frustrated. Yeah, but Mobley doesn't have to be the primary score, the second primary scorer on his team, while Randle oh. does for his team. Very, very true. Very true. Um, the Knicks, I feel like the key for the like between RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and Quentin Grimes, like we talk about role players. Between those three guys, somebody has to play really well for them. Because mm-hmm. like, I mean, I respect Randall and stuff, but like he can be, he can, he can be risky. Brunson is gonna is gonna be tough and and do what he needs to do. Like they need one of those other guys, one of those three guys. Because RJ Barrett, I, I see Knicks fans going crazy on him. All They're the calling time. for him to just come off the floor. They're calling they, for like oh my guy to get more like, minutes and, and stuff man, like that. So like it's bad. RJ Barrett, man, it's, it's bad. It's, it's crazy out there. But, tough for but, Puma fan because he's kind of up and down. But he's he's average. He averaged twenty this season. I mean, he, he's mm-hmm. been up there. He's one of their one of their three best scorers on paper. So, but they need one of those three. One of their three guards to really be dynamic and play well. That's the key. That's what, that's when they get going. That's when, like I said, after game one, I'm looking at them like maybe they just have, maybe they have more firepower than Cleveland. Yeah. Well, here's where I'll push back on that because here's where the regular season matters for Cleveland being the best defensive team in the regular season anchored by that, that guy who's going to face the second in defensive player of the year voting and Evan Mobley, you were talking about stat, Matt. And if they continue to do that and carry that through this series, like, I think they will continue. They will gain separation if they continue to dominate on the defensive end. Even in the Knicks win, they only put up 101 points. And in the loss, they put up 90. If they, if their average score is going to be 95, 96 points through this playoffs, advantage Cavs. Because I don't think the Knicks have as much firepower as the Cavs. They got two guys that can guarantee them 20. Like, R.J. Barrett's not guaranteeing you 20. Mitchell Robinson's not. Even Josh Hart's not. He might pop off for 20. But Josh Hart had a tremendous game one. He had 17, 19 points, right? He didn't even have 20 points. The, the, the Cavs got four guys that could give you 20. And three that are probably guaranteed or almost guaranteed to give you 20. 
So they got more firepower on the offensive end. And if they're going to hold the Knicks to a h- under, you know, 100 points and under, I think that's very much advantage Cavs. But what I think is interesting in this series is both best players on the, on this prospective team, and I'm talking about Jalen Brunson for the Knicks and Donovan Mitchell for the Cavs, we still haven't seen, and granted, it's only been two games, a small sample size, but we haven't seen an explosion yet. Jalen Brunson had a good game one, but 27 points. Donovan Mitchell has yet to have one of the big Donovan Mitchell games that we think he can have and we've seen him have in the playoffs. So I'm kind of waiting for that. Like, I'm kind of waiting for the, for the lid to come off or the top to come off on either one. Martin, I- I'll even give that question to you. Who do you think has the first explosion? You think JB gets one or you think Donnie gets one? And it's I in the garden so. now. It's, you know, it's I- in the Mecca now. Yeah, I think Donnie's. I think Donnie's gonna get one in New York. Yeah, I think Donovan's gonna get one in New York, man. It's hometown so, too. Hometown yeah, too. Yeah, I just like I said, I feel like he has the most potential to take over this series, and uh, I think he's gonna have a statement game in New York. Yeah, um, you know, that I, that I'm, seems but, so. Man. That seems so likely. It's like impossible. I'd be shocked if it didn't happen. I like, you just see New York been... fans getting really mad about like Mitchell's 45 point game right. in game four when they could have gone up three, one and then they lose yeah. in seven. Yeah. That's really. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, Matt, Matt's Matt just, just got like the, that's so Raven crystal ball vision <laughs> of, of what happens to, to the Knicks. Matt, Matt just saw the whole future. Well, I kind of think they both get it in the same game. I kind of think they trigger one another. And it mm-hmm. might be in game three because well, Brunson gave me brought up Mitchell at 42 in that game with Brunson at 48. You know what I mean? And, and usually iron shot from Zion. These are two hoopers, guys who are around the same age, guys who faced off in the Western conference two years ago when the Mavs made that run, Jalen Brunson took Donovan Mitchell out. So these guys are, are familiar with each other. Right. Um, but I yeah, look at Jalen Brunson, very comfortable in the garden. You know, he played there this year and, you know, played there many times at Villanova, you know, winning Big East championships. And Donovan Mitchell is coming back home, just potential for two guys to come back in game three and pop off. And the reason why the, the Knicks were struggling so much in game two, as you're watching, I think Jalen Brunson was trying to make up for a lot of lost time in game two. Struggled in game one with a lot of foul trouble, missed the first half in game one. So that 27 could have been a 35 to 40 piece if he didn't miss so much time in the second and third quarter with foul trouble. And I think he tried to get those shots back a little bit. Like, I think he he wanted to get himself so much of a rhythm in game two. The ball didn't swing or he was making the wrong reads. And then that trickled down to, you know, it just looked awry from the Knicks. I think Josh Hart got hit in the back of the head one time with a pass, like I saw. Like, things just went awry for the Knicks. So, I think it, it's coming back home, coming back to the drawing board and getting Jalen Brunson comfortable in his spots. He's going to go off, and as soon as that firework goes off, I think Donovan Mitchell's firework goes off, and he starts to get it. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, like, 240 pieces or, or 35 out of 40 pieces, but I think I might even put it down as, you know, a prediction. is is Friday night. Friday night fireworks at the Garden for Friday JB and for Donnie. But doesn't that, doesn't that seem like just basketball utopia, right? Friday night at the Garden, just, just fireworks go off, Knicks, Cavs. In a, in a in a you know instant classic first round matchup like that sound good don't it like the basketball right. guy like, and the New York fans are going to be look. really hyped too just because there's a lot of crossovers between Rangers and Knicks fans and the Rangers are in a going to probably a long series against the Devils who big rivals wow. in their first round playoff series 
Playoff sports at the Garden, man. You got to love it. That that was the Eastern Conference. We're going to roll on to the Western Conference now. We got a 1-8 matchup and the Nuggets and Wolves series that probably don't spend too much time on, uh, you know, as well as the Nuggets, you know, probably look to do, you know, what Nuggets fans hope and pull out a sweep. But uh, we got a game two going on tonight as we record on Wednesday. But the Nuggets took game one, 109 to 80. So, what 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 are you seeing here from the Minnesota Timberwolves, Martin? You got a, a team that, um, you know, kind of interesting how they got into the playoffs in the first place. Kind of survived the mini scandal with Gobert and, and um and Kyle Anderson, right, and got themselves through the play in and into the playoffs, and now facing the number one seed. But you know, you know, on their heels a little bit and almost on the ropes if they go down too well. So what are you seeing from from the Wolves and? The Nuggets here. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, this is probably the series I've watched the least so far. Um, I mean, the game I, started like 1030. I don't know what they, you know, what to do. It's, it's, yeah, it can be tough. But um, I, I'm, I, I just haven't been high on Minnesota at all. Um, I've been watching them mainly to see if Anthony Edwards is going to take that leap because I feel like they need to, they need to even help him take that leap and make it more known that it, it's his team, and I don't know how long that'll take or when that'll happen. Um, Carl Anthony Towns, I think, is a special – he is a special talent. Um, and I, I just wonder where – like, who's really going to be the leader and the real alpha of that team. And I feel like Anthony Edwards can be special and and should be, like, the, the top candidate to do that. But I just don't think they have a real identity or they know who they are. Um, and I think Denver knows who they are. And uh, f- from the little bit I've seen, um, I just I, I like I like what Denver has. I love that someone like Jokic has Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon. Um, I think they have like I think this might be one of the best versions of Denver. And it, it goes to say, I mean, the kind of season first they time they've ever been a one seed in the NBA. I mean that I, I really I, ever since, ever huh? wow. that, in wow. the ABA they were a one seed, but in the NBA. Wow. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. I mean, um, but but they deserve it. It makes sense when I watch them, the kind of basketball they're playing around Jokic. And again, just knowing knowing who they are, who does what, um, you know, just enough athleticism, you know, good shooting, good passing, good system, good culture. Um, Yeah. Like and so Minnesota not having an identity they're They're not. I don't think they're equipped to to Denver right now who are so sure of themselves. To, to me, to be honest, this is this series is more about what Denver is and less about what Minnesota isn't. And I, maybe I'm just tired of talking about what a Minnesota isn't because through the play in, they were like the team to talk about. Because like to me, it's like how the hell are they like winning? How the hell are they here? Like what's what's going on? That this team doesn't work. And then magically, Ramudi Gobert misses a game. Cat has his best game, and I don't think that's a coincidence. But anyway, it's more about. What you said, Martin, what Denver has been able to surround Jokic with, who they've been able to surround Jokic with. And I think everyone is kind of susceptible to what we're talking about is not watch Denver a lot this season. They come on late and they don't play like a sexy, you know, highlight brand style of basketball. I mean, Jokic puts on this great passing display, but they're not a high flying team. They don't, you know, shoot 33s a game. They just beat you slowly, fundamentally, and they're a very good basketball team. But what I think people are going to learn as they start to watch Denver more is Aaron Gordon plays a bigger role on this Denver team than people realize. Like I don't think it was too much of a reach 
when people were saying like, let's be in the dunk contest. He said, put me in the all-star game. And people were like, okay, well now you're just talking. I don't think there was that much of a reach for him to say like, start giving me all-star recognition. Start looking at me as, as, but start looking at me as that kind of a player to put him in the all-star game. Yes, that was a reach, but start looking at him as that kind of a player instead of just a, a guy who can put you on a poster every now and then. Like Aaron Gordon is a legit third scorer, you know, most times on an offense. And, you know, I think people are going to start to see that more as, you know, the playoffs go along. Like with when Jamal Murray wasn't there most of the season, Michael Porter Jr. was in and out with injuries. Like who do you think was there as Jokic's running mate for the number one seed in the Western Conference? You know what I mean? Like that was Aaron Gordon being Robin to Jokic's Batman through the majority of this season. And I think that wasn't talked about as much because, you know, it wasn't seen as much. But I think people are going to start to get it now. But, Matt, how, how are you feeling about the Nuggets through this series? Uh, I The fact that they – I can't believe that a team in 2023 with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns as offensive weapons scored 80 points in a playoff game. Yeah, that's that's really embarrassing. And Denver's not a defensive stalwart, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um but Jokic, this, Jokic just kind of yo- owns Gobert, just historically. If you look at the last three seasons when they face each other, so that's Jokic's two MVP years and this year, Jokic averages 29, 11, and 10 on 72.6% true shooting. And like uh, when you're Rudy Gobert and you're playing against the premier center in your conference and you get hosed by him every single time, like, it's just, it's got to be demoralizing when you view yourself as the best defensive player in the league. And I know Gokic shouldn't go off in game one, but he didn't have to. It was a blowout. This this is the least interesting series to me, and it should be put on at 1030 every night because yeah, people aren't going to watch that much. Now, what you guys were talking about Boston and being and being worried that, you know, they, they were – you know, kind of weren't getting tested in their first round matchup and maybe they weren't getting up for it as much as they should. That's what I fear with Denver. Because yes, you know, Minnesota only scored 80. Denver only scored 109. And this is, we're in an era of basketball where 109 doesn't impress me. 109 actually makes me think like, did your best players get held? Did did, did your best players not go off? You only scored 109 points. You know what I mean? Like 13, 14, and six. Like that, that, that's Jokic's best game now. Like you said, Matt, he didn't have to go off. He didn't have to score a bunch of points. But doesn't Denver want to come out and punch someone in the mouth to playoffs? Doesn't Denver want to come out and show everyone that, like, hey, we are the legitimate one seed that everyone thinks we're not? I get that they don't have to do everything and, and, and you know, break the biggest sweat to beat Minnesota. But as a team that this is your first time as a one seed ever, don't you want to come out and assert dominance? Like, don't you, don't you, don't, you know what I mean? Don't you want to do it better than just making it easy? Am I wrong for that? Because that's what I would want to see as their fan base. Yeah, it no, is I mean, just game one, so. Yeah, Rachel, and I mean, I, I didn't see the game, but I mean, we just said 109 to 80. That sounds, 109 to 80. That sounds pretty dominant to me. I mean, I, 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 I definitely see what you're saying um, because I'm also thinking, isn't the Phoenix Clippers series the 4-5? Mm-hmm. So 
Well, doesn't that mean Denver has the winner of that series next? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they probably should be. Uh, like, don't don't you want to warm your hands up a little bit? Don't you want to warm your gloves up a little bit? What what's coming next is not going to be anything like what they're seeing. Not eighty points, I guarantee you that. Not eighty points. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, so that's what we got to see. I don't think any of us really project the Wolves to win the series at all. Maybe even win a game. If they do, good for them, but the Nuggets are going to wrap this up probably as soon as they can. Another game that's tipping off tonight are the series that continues tonight. The, the two-seed Grizzlies and the seven-seed Lakers, which, you know, was a very, very interesting series from the start. And now with John Moran's, you know, hand kind of touching backwards as he hits the ground becomes an even more interesting series. But the Lakers lead the series one nothing. They win game one, 128-112. It was a a, a very, very good game. But let me tell you something that the Lakers didn't see in the regular season that they saw in game one, and that's the Rui Achimura game. How about it? Like, that, 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 that man, they, they make the trade deadline deal for him and grab him from Washington, trading him for Kendrick Nunn, and he comes off the bench 29.6 rebounds, 11 of 14 from the field, and goes buck wild, goes crazy, and – no one saw that at all this regular season. And I think Lakers fans had accepted what Rui was. They thought they were going to get some of that in the regular season. When they first traded for him, he was inserted immediately in the starting lineup. He was his big headlining news. And by the time it was time to make the play-in and playoff push, he was comfortably on the bench, playing well, playing in his role. But I think everyone in Laker kingdom was like, oh, man, Rui's not that, but we're fine with what he is. We've constructed a team elsewhere that he doesn't have to be the crazy scorer. And then they get that in game one. Is that sustainable, Martin? Like, do you think Rui can can come back like that and company can come back like that in game two against Memphis? No, but I think the beauty of it is that what the Lakers were able to do throughout the season and the changes they made is that they they now have different guys who can, as as Matt so, so beautifully put it earlier about Kevin Love, can just come in and randomly hit four threes. I mean, they didn't pick up a whole lot of shooters, but we know D'Lo is the better shooter. It's a better replace, better on-court shooting option than what they had before in Russell Westbrook. Vanderbilt can hit shots. There's a difference between guys who are shooters and guys who can hit shots. Like, I give me a guy who can hit shots. I don't need a, a, a Tyler Hero. I don't need a Duncan Robinson. I don't need, like, a knockdown shooter. You give me that, great, and you know what to do with him. But Rui, give me a Derek White. Give me a Derek White. Give me a guy who hits shots. You. Yeah. There you go, bro. Yeah, there you go. Guys who can hit shots. Marcus Smart hits mm-hmm. shots from He's not a shooter, but he'll hit shots. So shot. that was the beauty of the kind of guys that the Lakers brought in. Rui, I saw some people saying, I think it was uh Chris Broussard. I'm gonna call him out because I think I saw him on TV talking about Rui's a floor spacer. He's he spaces the floor. No, he's not that no, he's the, don't don't try to <laughs> don't get carried away. Yeah, don't get carried don't, away. Don't, don't try to call him a shooter. Maybe his percentage his percentages in Washington were good. But I, listen, that's where and, and Matt, I love you and I love the stats and I love stat love me some stat, Matt. But that's where I just can't get with numbers sometimes because maybe his three point percentages were great, but I, I don't I don't care. I'm not gonna call him a shooter. The, the thing is you're right not to call him a shooter because he shot forty four point seven from three last year, but only on three attempts. So if you're not a high volume like that just means you shot three threes a game, which means you shot him when they're great scenarios. 
Like anyone can have a good three point percent. So all, you only I mean, shoot when so you're all numbers really are important to provide context. That 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 three is just as important as the forty four. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think so, you guys are saying the numbers. same thing. Like, they, they, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. bash numbers. I'll know. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it, but that goes exactly what you were saying, Mar. He's not a shooter, but he makes shots. Like the percentages are high because the the he makes he makes he takes advantage of of the few opportunities that he gets to make open shots. He takes those and he makes those. They were big. I guess we got to talk about the Austin Reeves side of things, right? And it's crazy because we yeah. started talking about the Lakers series, and the first two names we brought up were Rui Achimura and Austin Reeves. We haven't brought up LeBron. We haven't brought up Anthony Davis. Hell, we haven't even brought up Darvin Ham. We've brought up Rui Achimura and now Austin Reeves, but we have to because those were the two driving forces to a Lakers game one win. That is something we saw all season. And here comes capping LeBron again, right? Lying LeBron about saying that, you know, this. I saw this from I the first it. practice. I do. I do. Like, <laughs> Bro, come I do. on, man. I do. <laughs> Come on, man. I saw it from the beginning, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, you gotta love him. You got that he's he's one of the, the most unintentionally funny people on the planet. But Austin Reeves <laughs> ex- explodes for for you know for his game one performance. Twelve in the um, fourth quarter. Twelve in the fourth quarter goes goes crazy, and we'll and we'll you know kind of give him credit for that. But Matt, I want to kind of turn to the Grizzly side of things because there's a there's a. Still another really good team over there. And it's a team last year where, like, 
Look, we saw them win a whole bunch of games without John Morant in the regular season and in the postseason last year. And we're not sure the extent of his injury. We know he has no breaks. We has no, he has no fractures, but we don't know is if he's going to play. So if he can't go, are you still confident in the Grizzlies to be able to win game two in Memphis and ultimately still win the series? I will. I picked LA to win the series beforehand. So I, I'm not confident in them. In well, do you think, do you think you, they could do it? Do you, do you, do you... I, I think, I think if it, like, this is a must win game for Memphis. You're not going to win the series. If you drop the first two games at home, um, they have to shoot better. Morant, if he does play, it'll be interested to see how much he actually shoots jump shots because even if you can play with a hurt shooting hand, that's going to affect how effectively you shoot. So if he, he might play, but only just be like a distributor and sorry. He he barely takes the outside shot anyway. So I'm really curious. He still shoots though. And you might not trust his handle enough. Yeah. 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 And And he's he's not great at it. The fact it's just the the fact that that's the it's giving Dylan Brooks more reasons to shoot, and that's always a bad thing. Because we gotta know, Dylan, Dylan, no, no, you, the he, Dylan Brooks shot nine threes in game one. Luke Kennard, who led the league in three point percentage, and Tyus Jones, who shoots like thirty eight percent, shot a combined six, and they played a combined fifty minutes, and Dylan Brooks played twenty eight or twenty nine. The like Dylan Brooks has got to stop shooting threes and let Kennard and and Jones shoot those shots. Uh, Bain had a tough shooting game, but I think I'll bounce back from that because of the player he is. Yeah, I just if Dylan Brooks keeps shooting, he's going to shoot the Grizzlies out of the playoffs quickly. And if you're a coach, you got to bench him if he keeps shooting those <laughs> shots. If you're a coach and you got Dylan Brooks. You got to bench him. That's, I mean, that's what it, that's what it comes down to. He, Dylan Brooks can't see the floor anymore. Um, but what I think the Grizzlies got to do is, and it's going to be very tough because they're a team who relied on defense to quick offense, and they can still rely on the defense. I think the offense has got to slow down a little bit, and they got to rely for less on pace and more on the three point shooting because they they are able to. I'm not asking a team to slow it down to something they can't do. If this was a team who relied on a fast pace but wasn't good at anything in the half court, then I wouldn't ask them to do it. But if, if they could slow down the pace and get it to those three-point shooters, guys like Luke Kennard, Desmond Bain, who we didn't even talk about yet, who could still hit the outside shot as well, Tyus Jones. Like Luke Kennard led the league in three-point percentage, shot over 50% from three when he got to the Grizzlies and 48, 49% for the whole year, like ungodly numbers. I was like, when I heard that, I was like, why is he not shooting 11 threes a game? Like he should be every possession. That brother should be putting something up. If you're hitting and, and he went to the Grizzlies at the trade deadline. This isn't like a 10 game sample size of him on the Grizzlies. You're talking about for a quarter of the season, he shot 50% from three. Oh yeah. Oh, you know what I mean? So slow it down, get into some sets, Draw some people in with Jaron Jackson. Draw some people in with Desmond Bain, some drivers. If Ja's in there, draw some people with Ja. Ja, don't try to jump over and dunk on somebody that you can't dunk on this time. Let's kick this thing to Luke Kennard in the corner. Let's kick this thing to Tyus Jones in the corner. Desmond Bain on the wing and get some open shots. That's what I think the Grizzlies have to do. And start punishing the Lakers that way. Because I think you bail them out when you get so quick. You don't, you don't 
You know I mean? You're not making LeBron and Anthony Davis and company work on the defensive end. You're allowing them to have quick possessions, get the ball back, and then get back into their offensive sets. I think now you got to make the Lakers work a little bit on the defensive end. And we'll see if that works for them. So moving on to the next series, man. The number three seed Kings against the number six seed Golden State Warriors. I, I want to have this conversation, Draymond Green's suspension aside. I, I don't know if we're able to do that because of how big it means and, and how much it means to this series. Um, but I think immediately going into that overshadows what the Kings are doing, what they probably were going to do, whether Draymond got kicked out of that game or not. I'd like to congratulate Mike goal. Brown on being the second on having the second most playoff wins in Kings history. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> With two. Wow. The Kings have two playoff wins of fran- or you know, the, Mike Brown has, you know, some of the most franchise wins of uh, franchise playoff wins in Kings history at two. And the Nuggets have never been a one seed going into the playoffs in their NBA thing. Two two things that I just learned. Tonight on, on straight facts, two crazy stats. That's why I love it. By you. the way, <laughs> crazy stats. By the way, if you but, got like the Rochester Royals as the Kings, then there's other people, but just Sacramento Kings. I think only you would would count them as any as anything. To be honest, I don't think anyone has a working memory of the Rochester Royals. But <laughs> going on to to this series, the Kings and the Warriors. Like, I guess, Mom, we will talk about it, and you, you got to talk about it in a basketball sense. How much does this su- suspension hurt? the Warriors and can they still win game three without them and, you know, start to make a comeback in this series? Uh, bro, this, this team, the Kings, this, they, they are doing things against the Warriors that I feel like I've never seen a team be able to do. They're giving them issues that I, I, I feel like they are even a little just shell shocked by just how, how dynamic and how disciplined they've been. I feel like Mike Brown is a cheat code. I, he's the, he's the ultimate cheat code for that type of roster. They, and the moves they made through the season, I mean, Kevin Herter and Sabonis, I mean, you know, Keegan Murray has come along. Like they just have really great things happening wise, happening personnel wise. And then to have Mike Brown be the person, like he, he knows their blueprint. He knows their blue. He uh, he knows what to tell them to look for, and you can see it in how they're guarding them, how they're taking away the pitch ahead passes, how they're they 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 don't take away everything, but they've done a really good job on the drag screens and and just all the little the little secret reads that the Warriors will get off to get quick shots and to get threes, and it's just been really impressive. But I I just think Golden State is really in trouble. And without Draymond at home, where I mean, this has been a physical series, as the playoffs always are. But th- this is a physical series. The bonus, the bonus could have his best game in Game Three without Draymond in there bothering the hell out of him and them just going at it because they've been they've they've been going at it, and that's what led to that that incident with the two of them. Like they they've been it's been a lot of stuff going on under there. And and yeah, Sabota's not innocent he, either, by the way. And no, of course, of course. Not, I mean, they, they, they both did dirty stuff, and, and that, he got a tuck for it. So, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just feel like the Warriors are in trouble, even in game. Th- I think game three is going to be, it's going to be nuts. I think it's going to be crazy, and like Steph, this is going to have to be a Steph game because yeah, of course, it Draymond. It's game. not like you're losing a lot of scoring with Draymond, but this the scoring and the offense and the flow that he creates, you lose. And then of course you lose him, his defensive presence. But 
I just think that makes it so much tougher because even possessions when they lost Draymond, when he, when he got kicked out, you see Steph even hesitant. They don't hit Looney on the short roll the same way they hit Draymond because he doesn't do the same things that Draymond can do in those short roll situations. So that makes, that makes Sacramento able to shrink the floor even more and, and just force him to get the ball out of its hands and they have less playmakers. So I really feel like the Warriors are just in trouble in this next game. And if they lose game three, it's like we're re- we're literally watching. Guy is falling, the, yeah. The funeral of the dynasty. Uh, I think that that will cause people to start asking the the you know the, the tumultuous questions of you know, do the Warriors start to break it up? Do they start to move on from their stars? But Matt, before you before you go really Draymond's quick, gone, bro, it's done for Draymond now. You think so? He's out this summer. This I think after the Jordan Poole thing, it was over. He's I still think that's got carryover. You can't tell me that doesn't have carryover effect. I think that's had carryover effect the entire season. You can't punch me in the mouth and America see it, and I just move he's, on. It's just running, not. That's just. I think it's the, over. Men don't work like that. People don't work like that. Anyway, this theme of this podcast of does the regular season matter was probably built for this series. If I know my good brother and my partner Jake Galley, when he suggested this, it was for this series. Because I know he wants to, and I have to issue a formal apology to the Sacramento Kings. I really do. Because I didn't, I sound like I didn't give him a chance in this series. But I didn't think they were going to win. I definitely didn't think they'd be up too well. Because of this, their style of basketball, I thought was so similar to how the Warriors won games. Of being so electric on offense, their pace of play, getting into their sets, and hitting such big shots, and in such big times. And that's exactly what the Warriors do. And I was like, okay, if you're going to try to play the Warriors game, you're not ex- as experienced as them. It's your first time. You're not going to do it. And that's it's exact. They're literally. I'm watching them beat the Warriors at their own game, and I'm like, wow. Like it, it, it took the Warriors being all 35 and plus for a team to be able to do that. But wow, I don't think we've ever really seen this before. So kudos to the Kings of maintaining what they've done in the regular season, a historically good offense and carrying that into the playoffs and not being a fluke in the regular season. I apologize for not taking that as seriously. And for ignoring the fact that the Warriors were historically bad on the road in the regular season. Like, they won, like, eight, nine games the whole season on the road. And we all thought that was going to magically go away just They were because... worse than Charlotte on the road. Like, that's crazy. Charlotte had a better road record. And, Matt, a lot of people thought that was just going to change because it's the playoffs now and it's Steph and it's Clay and it's Draymond and thought they were just going to punk the Kings in their own building. It doesn't work like that. People thought that the Warriors crowd was going to take over the 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 foot, what is the footprint center or the footprint one, whatever it's called. They thought they were going to take over Sacramento. I watched them two games like, um, there's not a blue and gold jersey in that stadium. You thought they was they no, there's no one in there for the again Warriors. another so really bad matchup. Like if the Warriors had Denver, I feel like they'd be fine in the first yeah. round. I think they'd be fine. It's really just the matchup. No, they're not beating Denver. Denver's one of the best home teams in basketball, especially with their altitude. No, but man, I don't think Denver doesn't come with the same what it's, I, yeah. I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't be as worried for the Warriors going against Denver. I don't think and, Denver would have. Would the, be, the, I, but the, we get like. The, um, the, the, the Kings are fighting fire with fire with the Warriors and winning. Like if Denver tried to fight fire with fire with the Warriors, I don't know if they'd win. Like I don't but, know. But if, they wouldn't have to. But would, anyway, right. I want to get back to this. Because right. I still think this is a series, even though I'm the one who picked the Kings. <laughs> because I, 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 th- I said before the series, I think the home team is going to win every game. 
And I stand by that. I think the Warriors mm-hmm. are going to come back too, too. And then, because I'm not as worried from a Warriors perspective about Draymond being suspended for a single game. Because in the finals last year, they benched Draymond because he was playing so poorly. And they came back in game four and won game five when Draymond played. Draymond played, I think, like 15 minutes in game five and only like 28 minutes in game four. So they can win without him. And as much as them being one of the worst road teams in basketball, they're also one of the best home teams. So the regular season absolutely does matter. And what also carries over, which was interesting, is the clutch stats because the Warriors were under 500 in games decided by five or fewer points. And that game one, that seemed like a game that the Warriors were just, if you watch just thinking of, I picked the Kings and I thought the Warriors are going to win that game down the stretch just because they have the playoff prestige and they hit the shots. Yeah. And when they kicked the Wiggins in the corner for that open three, I was like, there I, it is. I had forgotten that Wiggins hit a 17 point limit. And I thought that shot was going to go <laughs> in and, 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 and it missed and the Kings held out <clears> and, and then they, Steph missed a floater three at the buzzer. And then they, in game two, the Draymond stomp really screwed up the Warriors in game two because that got the crowd so into it and made it even more difficult for a bad road team to win. And when Jordan Poole's playing this poorly, like, it's really tough to win it. any games. But but he plays that poorly on the road. You you think, mm-hmm. you Martin, you called a Steph game, and I do think we get one. I think we get a pool party, too. In game three, this is a guy who needs the home crowd. He needs guys cheering for him, not chanting against. He him. needs a couple of Instagrams uh, girls on you know the, I mean? on side the sideline, get him pumped up. He does. He, jo- he needs his bed. He needs Jordan Poole needs to go home, get some home cooking, and have a good game. I think he gets that. And to the Draymond point, and and the stomp. Uh, first of all, I've heard it called the Sabonis stomp. I think that's hilarious. By the way, I don't want. I don't want to make. Jokes about what happened, but that name is hilarious to me. But that's the that's a microcosm of yet again Draymond creating a mess that like Steph and Clay have to clean up. Last year against Brandon Clark, creating a mess that Steph and Clay gotta clean up. Barking with Grant Williams in the finals and then stinking it up. A mess that Steph and Clay had to clean up. Not you. And to at this point, Draymond is not. The, the asset to the Warriors that he was in 2016, 2017. And I get people are freaking out because he's a big name and now he's not going to He also is like one of the best defenders in basketball. I hear you. But to, at this point, I don't think he's as pivotal to a win as he's been in years past. And I think they're much capable of getting it done without him going back home in game three. And then if you get it done in game three, you get him back for a very emotional game four and you can't tell me that Guys, you know, who are going through their first playoff run over there in Sacramento are, are prepared to deal with, you know, San Francisco and 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 the the Golden State Warriors with that level of capacity and that much energy and passion coming into that building. So I'm with you, Matt. I think Golden State can very much win these next two games, and then it's a three game series going back to Sacramento and like you know. It's you know, hold on to your hats for the end yeah. of the series. I feel like the Warriors really need someone. Jordan Poole has to start playing better. That we all know that. But I feel like they do need someone, especially in game three without Draymond. I do think they need like Gary Payton the second needs to have a big game or someone, someone like that. And I think they have a couple other guys that could come off the bench, maybe play some spot minutes that that might play well for them. Um, and kind of make up for just that that production and and just the the physical presence of Draymond. 
Um, but I do think you have to make up for that. And I feel like one of their other guys has to kind of step up at home and have a big like role player game to help give Steph and Clay some some added momentum and and offense and energy. And I think that's a tremendous point, Martin. And are we wrong for that guy to call on, like for us to call on Andrew Wiggins to be that guy? I well, know he just got back. Wiggins had a Wiggins game. Game five of the finals. He was that's the best player on the but that, and, and, and But that's my point. That's my point is last year, like a lot of people are arguing that Wiggins should could have been or should have been finals MVP. Like he's one of the, if not the biggest reason that they were able to be like head and shoulders above people in the playoffs is Andrew Wiggins. But the reason why I'm saying is it too much for us to ask is because he just got back. That leave of absence was long and he came back for the playoffs. He didn't even come back for a runway in the regular season. So uh, is it too soon to ask for him like, hey, Wig, can you be finals Wiggins? Can you be playoff no, Wiggins I think last he's year? Like, already, is he, bro, he got right to it. He, to me, he, bro, he hasn't played in two months. Bro, he's, he's playing better than Jordan Poole. Right now, well, that's an yeah. easy bar to clear. They both have, but to play better than anybody, to play better than yeah. anybody is 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 something of noteworthy. I hear you, Martin. I hear you. for sure. But I'm like they, Wiggins and Poole both have to get 15. Like they, they both have to at least get 15 for this to what 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 made the Warriors so deadly last season, all through the season, and then even through the finals. Even though Jordan Poole didn't really play great in the finals, but if you watch the Warriors last season during the regular season. It, it was the closest thing to what I remember with strength and numbers in 2015, mainly because of Jordan Poole. There were times where Steph would just would be able to go on the bench. Jordan Poole would come mm. in and it was like you still had Steph in the game. It was it was nuts last year. And I'm like, yo, Jordan Poole is a big reason why they're about to go back. They're about to win another one because they the firepower was just endless. They, they it just there was no drop off. So yeah. Jordan Poole has to at least get back to 15. Like him and Wiggins both have to get at least 15. Wiggins has been doing it. Wiggins looks great. He looks, I'm like, he, he looks like he's still been hooping. Jordan mm. Poole has to get himself back in rhythm at the at the very least. So those two guys, like that's, I'm not even looking at them as having a big, like if one of them gets 30, that, I mean, that that counts and that's great. But I'm talking about either Gary Payton the second or, or Patrick Baldwin or one of these other guys to just randomly have a big game that gives them, a boost because those guys, Poole and Wiggins, they're, they're supposed to be doing that already. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget the hallmark of what made the Warriors so great was exactly what we were talking about those strike the numbers. Yes, you're going to get a Steph game, we're going to get a Clay game, but the 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 great Warriors teams that we know had a Sean Livingston helping things out, had Landry a Barbosa. Landry oh, Barbosa, Barbosa uh, helping State. things out. Yeah, I mean, uh, had people that when the, when you finally put somewhat of a blanket of the bonfire that was Steph Curry, Maurice Spates flicks some hot sauce on it and, it and it goes crazy again. And you're like, I accounted for everything, but not, I didn't account for most Spates. Right. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't account for Leandro Barbosa. That, that is, that is what made the Warriors to me so backbreakingly deadly in the run. It's just like, Oh my God, we finally, someone got Steph figured out. And Sean Livingston just gave us 16 off the bench. We can't, we, we there's just not enough there's just not enough people there's just not enough people to guard it all not at all the final series we will break down a great one out west man the phoenix suns and los angeles clippers also tied up at 1-1 the clippers taking game 1 and the suns taking game 2 and a great game too so this, this is one right here boy this is the this one is right the one, here bro. and when we talk about we talk about the regular season and doesn't matter we got to talk about it in context of these teams 
kind of operating with teams that they didn't have in the regular season. You talk about the Phoenix Suns. They didn't have Kevin Durant at all. They didn't have him until the trade deadline. They get him. He's out for the first two weeks. They get him. He injures himself in warmups, so they have him for three, four games, and they don't get him at all again in the regular season. Or, sorry, eight games, seven games, and they don't have him at all again in the regular season. And then you go on the side of the Clippers, who didn't have Kawhi majority of the season, had Paul George, who was helping them play really good basketball. They require Russell Westbrook. Now Paul George goes down, Kawhi Leonard comes back, and so they're dealing with kind of a team that they weren't used to running with in the regular season. That all comes down to some of the most elite hoops that I've watched in a long time, especially in the first round of the playoffs. We're talking about guys like Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant going. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Literally directly head, you know, matchup going right at each other. Guys like Devin Booker, uh, helping out for the Suns, Terrence Mann and Norman Powell and Russell Westbrook helping out for the Clippers. So, Martin, I'll go. I'll go to you, man. Like, who are you seeing kind of being able to pull away first in this series, the Clippers or the Suns? I think that Phoenix is going to wear them down. Um, even though it might look like Durant and Booker uh, could get worn down because it's like it's literally Phoenix starters. It's kind of like I, it's similar to what I felt like about Knicks Cavs. After that game one, I'm like, man, the Clippers are just deeper. They might just have it even without Paul George. I'm like, man, they can go to guys off their bench that can that can produce. Bones Highland is out there beating Chris Paul off the dribble and getting to the basket. I'm like, yeah, well, 
dang, if Bones Highland is, is going to beat Chris Ball off the dribble, like they're they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do watching. I guess maybe it's recency bias after game two. I don't know. But but looking at it, I do feel like it's so hard to stop two great scorers like Booker and Durant. And I think it's been really cool. Let me say this too. Russell Westbrook is the after Sacramento. Russell Westbrook is the best story of the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. Russell Westbrook. I mean, it's it's really cool to see how he's helping them, especially without Paul George. Like, I'm sure he would still be really contributing with Paul George out there. Hell, they probably even be scarier. But oh my I, god, I'm so happy they don't have Paul George. I feel like, especially with PG out, though, like whenever you have a big part of your offense out, you need someone else to come in and help with offense, obviously. But the way Russ does it, just just the he pushes that ball, man. He just keeps mm. going at you. And somehow it's become this really cool compliment to Kawhi Leonard. Like they get into quick offense. He just hits Kawhi at the elbow. They go and get into their action. Like it it really works. Like the Westbrook Kawhi thing is kind of like the the duo we never thought was going to be this elite, but it's like, they're like the elite duo now. It's really cool. Mm. But I feel like Phoenix is going to wear them down, man. I don't know. I feel like Booker and Durant are really hard to stop like we saw Booker could take over that could happen with with KD at any time and the other can kind of just coast like like KD did in game two while Booker was going off and meanwhile I know I said I'm worried about Chris Paul because I feel like he's really struggling out there but he's still able to be feisty he can still every once in a while I see him he's getting to the right elbow he can he can every once and talk about the clutch shots now talk about the clutch shots too Marion big shots shots. like sometimes he's given out on the the one pull-up he he had a wide open mid-range pull-up one time that it just visibly I'm just like Jesus game two the Suns were 21 of 29 for on mid-range shots and that's what won him the game and kept if they were down 0-2, that would have been pure. Demor- it also would have been demoralizing because we would be going to LA for game three. If we were go if we were down 2-0 and going back to Phoenix for game three, it's like all right, just just win at home, make it a three-game series. We go to LA down 2-0, and I don't I don't think it's panic. I think it's discouraging. Like I think it's like a wow, we're not what we thought we were. We're gonna get thumped and out. But uh- Matt, before you go. Talk about. I want you to talk about things from the the Clippers side because I'm probably going to talk about a lot of things from the Phoenix side. So talk about from the LA side of what's going on because great things even in the loss in those first two games. What's going on with the Clippers? Playoff Kawhi is back, and it gave me some very PTSD triggering feelings from what he did to me as a Sixers fan, as a Raptor, and game two. Even though in the loss the Suns did a better job denying him of the ball, and he took less shots, but still put the, put up thirty one and eight. And Westbrook put up twenty eight. The story of the Clippers is Westbrook because I completely missed the ball and the fact that I forgot that he has a like medieval <laughs> hatred of Kevin Durant, and that's going to fuel him. They say but, they don't though. They say they good. No, nah, on the if you. I think on the court as a competitor, I think he yeah. can tap into that really easily. Mm-hmm. Like you put it behind him, but it's as there. Soon as, 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 sees KD, as soon as he sees KD put on a different color jersey, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, you're that you're that guy that left me. I remember yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But but uh it's two teams where it just feels like they're missing extra players. Yeah. Like um Clippers is obvious with Paul George. 
the Suns, it's because they traded all their good role players to get Durant, which probably won't be an issue next season because they have free agency to build up. But as it stands now, their bench is very thin. But from a Clippers perspective, Ty has been great, um, especially just kind of bothering the Suns and Durant, especially in game one, not giving them everything they want. Game two was just it, – it, this is a classic, like, playoff series that mimics, like, a boxing match where uh, each round is going to be a whole different story. Mm-hmm. And – this just feels like it's going to go at least six, maybe seven. And I I have to apologize to the Clippers because I completely – I said that they're the least likely team of any Western Conference team to win a first-round playoff series. I didn't count the 8-1 matchup because that hadn't been decided yet. But of the end, I was dead wrong. They could absolutely win the series. Playoff Kawhi is back. If you can sustain that for the rest of the series, they're obviously a threat to Phoenix, who I thought was just going to roll through the West. I, I did not think Phoenix was going to roll through the West. I didn't even think they were going to roll through the first round. And and Martin, you can ask Matt and Jake when when you know the playoff scenarios were kind of getting into picture. I was in our group chat adamant. I do not want to play the Clippers. Like I'd rather play the Warriors. I'd rather play the Lakers. I do not want to play the Clippers because of what I was starting to see. And I, and when Paul George got hurt, you remember Drake when when Kevin Durant got hurt and he did the fake like oh man in the final that was me like oh they don't have PG shucks man like that was that was that gave me hope because if they were full strength man I would I would be so concerned about playing this Clippers team but. I got my confidence back a little bit after that game two win. And first of all, I got to give, I got to start anything I'm going to say about giving props to Toy Craig Toy and DeAndre Ayn for getting Toy Craig that. shot 75% from the field on mostly three point attempts. 75% from the, if Toy Craig going to shoot like that, Matt, we don't need a bench. If, and I know that's not sustainable, but the hell with anybody else shooting. Damian Lee would, had the third best three point shooting percentage in the league this year. If Tory Craig going to shoot like that, I'd rather him shoot the ball. Like, I'd rather not even give it to Damian Lee if Tory Craig's going to shoot the ball like that. But DeAndre Ayton is what's sustainable. And if, and if the Clippers are going to guard Chris Paul like that, because ultimately, I think what they did in that coverage wasn't really successful for Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. It was successful for minimizing anything Chris Paul wants to do and trying to, to operate, you know, kind of below the free throw line. And if they're going to do that, it's going to leave a lot of space for DeAndre and at that elbow. And you saw him spam that in the first half and especially in the first quarter, getting that 15 to 16 foot jump shot. And he was big because again, just like in game one in game two, Devin Booker struggled to get going. Kevin Durant struggled to get going. The offense struggled to get going. If it wasn't for DeAndre and that 10 point deficit that the Suns had in game two might be a 15 to 20, 25 point deficit. If he's not able to keep them into the game within a puncher's distance, you know, into that second quarter to allow Kevin Durant and everybody to get going. And then a lot of it goes on the defensive end and how we guard Kawhi Leonard. We didn't double Kawhi once in game one. Goes off for 38 points. Probably could have had more if he was, wasn't was Kawhi. If he's a scorer, if he's more of like a, a volume scorer, Kawhi has a 40-point, 45-point game easily. But he's slow and steady Kawhi, so he stops at 38. In game two, not a crazy a difference, but I think seven or eight doubles and, and very well-timed. That goes down to 31. 
And if you don't think to if you don't think that seven eight point difference is big in the playoffs, that's you. That's everything. That's a win. Like you you take four or five buckets out of Kawhi's hands on those well timed double teams. And I think you can up that a little bit. You're not going to double them every time, but up it a little bit and in the right times, I think you start to formulate a defensive game plan that people can do. Because in game one, it was KD kind of pulling up his pants and being like, you know what, I'm going to check Kawhi if you're going to check me. And I I love a heart, KD. I love it. I really do. But that's, you know what I mean? That's, I mean, KD, you're not an on-ball defender. And I definitely don't want you being my primary option for stopping Kawhi on a possession-to-possession basis. We're going to have to do this as a team. So I think that continues to happen, and then I get my confidence back, and I still think the Suns can get this in seven games. But after game one, it was looking a little bleak for me, but I feel better about it going into game two. So how how, this is is not a serious question. It's like 10% serious. How worried are you that Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is double XP weekend starting tomorrow for DeAndre Ayton's focus? I mean, uh, for DeAndre Ayton, that scares me. But apparently, Book said after game one, he went home and played Call of Duty for like three hours to blow off steam and then came back and had a great game too. So if if he got double XP now to go back and play, he can play four hours of Call of Duty if that's what he needs. If that's that's what Devin Booker I get after a a video game night, I'm cool with that. But Martin, we said a lot, man. This is going to be a tough one. Who do you think pulls this series out? Um, I do think, I feel like Phoenix is going to win it out because I feel like their two best players, um, are going to continue to be the two best players. Uh, and I, I was going to say this, I feel like Kawhi, Kawhi is so great, but the Clippers, and I guess it's going to be any team against Phoenix. You have to try to expose if, if you're deep, you have to expose that. And the, the Clippers guys just have to hit shots because they've done a really Kawhi's playmaking has been great. We know Russ makes plays and he gets their offense going. He finds guys. They've been really moving the ball well. Like Ty Lu defensively, I know has been great. Offensively, I'm really impressed with the Clippers and just the way they're playing basketball. And they've really embraced Russ too. It's really something when you know he makes the adjacent drive, he'll space, they'll kick it to you know Norman Powell corner, kick it back to Russ on the wing. You know he's wide open clearly, but it's like they don't hesitate giving him the ball. It's not like mm-hmm. yo shoot it, shoot it. But it's like we tr- they they don't have the ball keeps moving no matter who it is even if it's Russ for a wide open if he's wide open they trust him to be like you know shoot it if you want or drive it and keep probing and and keep the possession going so I just love I, I the Clippers man they've been really impressive to me um, and I think they can win this series but I think they have to have other guys I guess the same thing I said with the Warriors they need they need to have some other guys step up and they've got to hit shots. Because if, if it's going to be Kawhi, like it is Kawhi and Russ kind of against Booker and Durant, if you want to go the two best against the two best. But it's not Kawhi would need Paul George. Like that. that's not mm-hmm. – I don't think that's enough. As great as Kawhi is and as, as great as Russ has been, I don't think those two are going to outlast what KD and Book can do offensively. So I, I do feel like it's going seven, and I think, I think I'm going to – I think I'm leaning towards Phoenix right now. I like the way you put that because if it was – Kawhi, PG, and Russ versus CP, Kevin Durant, and, and Booker, or Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and DeAndre Ayton, I might give the advantage to the Clippers because the deeper it goes, I like that. But the top two, you're right. Like if it's – if you're going against, you know, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, you need firepower at the top two. And I still like the Suns in this series, but that the bench – the bench really does worry me. Um 
because it's not like Monty Williams doesn't want to go deep or doesn't want to go to a bench. It's that he can't go to a bench. Game one, he goes 10-11 deep on the bench. He goes 10 deep in the first half. Like, like it's something unprecedented in the playoffs. He's and trying to see who will perform. And who he can... He's trying to see what he has. We're Because he needs to find who the eighth guy is going to be. Yeah. They're going to go on a run, and he doesn't know who it is yet. Yeah, I know who it is auditions. yet. <laughs> and we're auditioning in the first round against against Kawhi and them. Like, I don't like that. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? I would like to, I love to audition against the Orlando Magic in game 79 and 80. But I got to audition in the first round of the playoffs. That's not good. So then you have to, you know, people were kind of getting on Monty Williams so much for his seven, eight man rotation in game two and saying, like, well, he's not going to his bench. So I'm like, well, did we forget that he went 10 deep in the first half in game one? And, only, you know, things started to get out of hand. Like, I, he can't. He, you know, I have no ability to do that. That really scares me. Matt, your official stamp of who takes this series. I think Phoenix pulls it out just because they have the firepower up top. I think. Nick- oh, did we lose Matt? Oh, there we go. You're back, Matt. I don't think Matt can hear us, but that might be a good time to uh, to pivot anyway. We were getting to the end of the segment. Matt was going to pick the Suns for everyone who who, <laughs> who wasn't going, who wasn't following his train of thought. He was definitely going with the Phoenix Suns. But we're almost out of time for this episode of Straight Facts. As always, we can get some shots about the buzzer. Martin, I'm, I don't know if you remember from last time, we're always doing that the buzzer. 60 seconds, you can sound off about anything you want to as long as you're willing to tell it to your mama too. Anything you want to hear right before you got anything to say at the buzzer? I guess I'll just say this going along with, again, what I felt like is the, what I feel like is one of the best stories of the playoffs in Russell Westbrook. I put up a video about this recently on Instagram about just like one of the best things about basketball. And it was really what everyone was talking about after game one, because Russ went three for 19, had a bunch of offensive rebounds and completely impacted the game. He was, he, a lot of people argue he was the main reason they won game one and then a big win on the road. And it's just the intangible factor there. If I made a video about it, if you, if you really want to win basketball games, like if you hate losing, whatever your motivation is to win, whether you just love winning or you hate losing, there are so many ways in basketball to contribute to doing that, just like mm-hmm. in life, actually. But there are so many little things. You can rebound, play defense, take charges. You can you can pass the ball. You can space the floor. You can encourage your teammates. I mean, there, there's many things that you can do in basketball on the floor to contribute to winning. And that was something that we saw with Russ in game one. And that's something that I, it's one of the things I love most about basketball. And, and it's what it's really, really comparable to life as well. Now I'm glad you pointed that out. Cause there's not many times in today's age in basketball that we get to point them out, point out fundamentals, taking over and winning and Russ, the, the fundamentals were glaring and it was the fundamentals were tangible. When you watch that game, that was really cool to see. Matt, glad you're back with us to end the podcast. You got anything, Sorry about you that. Got, you got anything to say at the buzzer? Uh, yeah. Um, I've been getting into video game collecting a little bit, but obviously I don't want to spend any money because it's expensive as hell. So I decided to go for the cheapest video game collection I could afford that meant something to me. So I decided to get every single I'm trying, I'm close. Uh, sports game that has a Philadelphia athlete on the cover because uh, cool. all old sports games are really cheap because no one wants to play NHL face-off 99 with Eric Lindros on the cover. <laughs> so some interesting ones that I found, I'm just going to show two. 
is this Game Boy game from NBA All-Star Challenge with Barkley on the cover. How about that? From like 1990. It was like four bucks. This and mad. this is very cursed, but it's very unique. So it's NBA 2K19, and you might be thinking, wait, that was Giannis. Not in Australia. Wow! For listeners, Ben Simmons on the cover. So uh, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that he got his own Australian 2K. Why does that make me? Why does that make me just as mad as anything that's ever gone on in this whole Ben Simmons saga? Why does that? It really has the Gallinari one, which is funny. So yeah. I'd rather that one. I'd rather Gallinari get an Italian 2K than Ben Simmons get an Australian 2K. I really would. I'd rather Evan Fournier get a French 2K than Ben Simmons get an Australian 2K. That's unbelievable. I'm actually mad you show that to me. Man. I hope. I, hope that, I bought I hope, that, and my brother said you're jinxing the Sixers for the playoffs. Yeah, your brother was right. You listen to your brother. You listen to your brother more often. That is hilarious. All I have to say at the buzzer is. I heard something and it's been an ongoing debate that I've struggled to kind of pick a side on. And this year I've definitively picked a side on. And it was that the NCAA March Madness tournament was just as good, if not better than the NBA playoffs. And I'm here to say that that is so far from true as I'm like, I love college basketball. I work for one of the best college basketball programs in the country of blue blood. I sit sidelined to it for every game. And if you if if you've watched, we're in the first half of the first round of the NBA playoffs, and these games have already been astronomically better than any than the best game you've watched in college basketball this season. And we had an all-time college basketball tournament. We had the most upsets of any tournament ever. We had a, a Final Four that didn't have a one seed. Like we we had great, great, great college basketball tournament, and. I've watched 10 games of the NBA playoffs. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a thousand times better. We haven't even gotten to the most pivotal games yet. Like, this is the one seed and the eight seeds playing better basketball than I've seen. So, not to dunk on the NCAA tournament, not to even throw shade at it. I just, I had to, like, I'm sure, like, it's not really a debate amongst, like, the Hoopers or the Hoopers of the world. But for a lot of kind of casual and avid sports fans, you hear the debate go back and forth. It's not even, it's really not close, man. Like, I don't know how you can watch like the Kings and the Warriors, any one of those games, and be like, oh, yeah, that was as good as Fairly Dickinson and UCLA in the, in the round of 32. Like, okay, like, like, come on, man. Like, it's not, man. This is NBA basketball. This is the top 1.1% of basketball players in the world playing the best basketball that you'll see. For 48 minutes. Like, you really got to appreciate that. But that's all the time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. It was a great one. For anyone who stuck for the hour and 38 minutes we've been on, thank you. But thank you to Martin Stories of Basketball Society on Instagram. Martin, it's an all time episode. And anytime you come by the Straight Facts pod, we had another great one today, man. Again, thank you so much for joining us, man. Always so much for further. Shout out to everyone in the Upload Game Presents Network, LeVar Eric and Plexico Burris and TJ Hushmanzada. They do great work over there. Shout out to my guy, Jake Galley, who's not with us. And shout out to my man, Stab Matt Robinson. I'm James Jackson. These have been the facts. Straight up. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them 
can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct, but most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.